1: This episode is a recording of an Ask Us Anything we did with my brother, Nick Kroll, the Picasso of puberty, who's the co-creator of Big Mouth. And we're thrilled to share it with you. It was originally for people who pre-ordered the book, but guess what? The book is out in the world, so anyone can buy it wherever books are sold. Wink, wink. We hope you enjoy.
3: I am so excited to talk to you guys, Uh, one, because you've written an incredibly important book about puberty, uh, and two, because I have very strong personal connections to both of you. Uh, I'll be honest, one of them is stronger. I'm sorry, (laughs) Vanessa, but-
1: uh, Car is better. It's okay. Car and
3: Addison, MD, is, uh, I think Car and I met actually originally through Vanessa. I have an animated show on Netflix called Big Mouth, which is based on me and my friend Andrew Goldberg's. Sort of journey through puberty, and Kara came in as a consultant early on to talk to us just about socially what was happening, but also medically what was happening and is happening. And then I have since taken advantage of her consulting uh, since I have a small child, and uh, we she (laughs) random texts uh, from me about things. And your biggest piece of advice is butt paste. That was like your big
2: the best <laughs> it might still work during puberty
3: i'm a, yeah We'll, I, I will i have to wait a few years but we'll see um <laughs> obviously uh vanessa is my sister so it's been this amazing crazy thing that both of us in our own way have ended up talking and, and thinking a lot about puberty and adolescence and i guess that is and isn't surprising But it's been a pleasure to always be able to talk to Vanessa for me professionally about what I'm doing on my show and and if I can be a sounding board for her as she and Cara have written this amazing book. And so it's this awesome opportunity. I feel really honored to be able to sit here and talk to you guys about the work you've been doing. So uh, thank you for having me and all of the people who are tuning into this um, and also the people who have written questions uh, that we are very excited to answer, but uh, I'll turn it over to Vanessa now to kick things off a little more about but what we're doing here today.
1: So Nick and I grew up in a house where everything was talked about, except maybe anger. Everything but anger, mm-hmm. but everything else was talked about. And for people listening in, we come at it with that filter. But I think over the years have appreciated that people grew up all different ways. Not everyone spent their sleepovers with their brother and friends reading Where Did I Come From and What's Happening to Me. But we hope that by writing this book and by gathering here tonight, people will feel more and more comfortable talking about anything and everything. And you'll notice Cara and I have really different styles. I'm very understated and Mm -hmm. Cara is, is really chatty. So it's just also we hope a lesson in that there's a million ways to do this and to do this well and to do this with love and kindness and It's never too early to start, as Nick is learning as well. Mm-hmm. So we got tons of questions ahead of time. um I'd love to like just dive in and then people should feel free to use the chat and there's a q and a function as well, and there are no dumb questions. We probably won't get to every single question that we have, but hopefully we'll get to as many as we possibly can. And I just want to thank Nick for doing this and for being such a support and wonderful, loving, amazing brother. And it's super fun for me to get to do this together. So thank you for working out of dinner time in order to... <laughs>
3: do of this. course, we, there might be a world where my toddler just comes banging down the door. Um, yep. So we'll see how that goes. So let's, yeah, let's kick it off. The first question that I see here, and I think you guys address this in the book as well, and I think it's partly from both of your backgrounds, but I might just be a way to, to jump in from, <laughs> ask, will this talk be addressing puberty for boys? So will it?
2: <laughs> the short answer is Yes. <laughs> The longer answer is I think that question highlights a really important shift, which is that when we were growing up, when you said the word puberty, it was very synonymous with talking about body changes in girls. And Mm. the boy experience was never really discussed. And even in the last 10 years or so, at schools where they've kept some of the education gender segregated, there is always this. Assumption that there's nothing to talk about in the boy class. And boy, is that wrong? Puberty happens in every body. 100% of all people on earth either will go through puberty, have gone through puberty, are in puberty. There's a lot to talk about for everyone's bodies. So we're big advocates for bringing the boy experience into the conversation.
3: Yeah, I guess uh, just to follow that up, it's from my end, it's interesting because. There's a lot of discussion of boys' experience in puberty and masturbation, things like that in popular culture, Mm -hmm. but from your angle and in sort of the the more uh, academic discussion of it, 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 there's much more of a focus on girls' and girls' experience in puberty, so it's a funny disconnect there, which was something that we were trying to do with our show, which was There was so much talk about like, in as I said, in movies and TV about boys like masturbating or discovering their sexuality and really not nearly as much about girls. And so that was something that we, as we developed the show and moved away just from me and Andrew's experiences, really wanted to get into. Vanessa, why do you think there is that sort of disconnect between the two uh, realms?
1: I think that there hasn't been permission for... People to talk about or engage with boys as full human beings. I think their puberty has been a punchline. So, like, yes, boners and wet dreams can be inherently hilarious. Thank God. Um, But we hear the men that we work with in workshops and our podcast listeners will say that, like, No one talked to them about wet dreams and it was really traumatic when they had their first wet dream and they didn't know what it was. And then they got the message, well, it's no big deal and you should just laugh about it. Like, what are you worried about? So there was never permission for them to like have the full universe of emotions. And one of the things I've always loved about Big Mouth and one of the things we really try hard to do in the book is to say... No, like boys have these really rich emotional lives. They have the same struggles. They have the same feelings. They have the same thoughts. They might have different body parts and there might be some different physiology, but like underlying that there's an incredible universality to all kids puberty. So that I think is really important. And I think it needs to shift. I also think it shifts when everybody learns about everybody else's puberty. So like you know, when Andrew gives Jesse the sweatshirt to put around her waist when she, her period leaks and her white shorts in, you know, episode two of Big Mouth, that level of empathy for someone else's journey is exactly what we want kids and in turn adults to have is to really get that everybody's going through stuff. And hopefully by everyone learning about it and talking about it, that will shift.
3: And I, I think one of the things that early in the book that you guys talk about is, just the idea of what visually can be seen with boys' puberties and girls' puberties fit, you know, that that seems to obviously sort of affect it, that girls is much more visible, I guess. Would you would you say? I mean, what, what do you think that process yeah. is?
2: I mean, if you look at what comes first, right? Because puberty has there's a whole long laundry list of things that happens over the course of what is now basically a decade. But what what comes first? Two things. In the female body, you have boobs starting to grow, breast buds. Those are very visible. Like they're bizarrely visible. They're almost visible through the loosest clothing. It's just, the whole world notices. The second thing you have is mood swings because the same hormones that cause breast growth also circulate around the brain and cause emotional shifts. And the classic, this isn't true for everyone and it's not true all the time, but the classic girl mood swing is a more outward one laughing hysterically, crying hysterically, everything is very big in the sort of stereotype of it all. Mm. In boy puberty, the very first sign physiologically is penile and testicular growth. And this happens super slowly. And sometimes it's the only thing that's happening for the first year or two. And those are body parts that are generally covered up all day long. And at home, unless you've got a kid who's a nudist and there's a good number of kids who run around and they're nudists and that's great at home and that all kids are different and their, their sensibilities are different, but many, many kids at that age will start to cover up. And when they start to cover up, their parents lose the indicator of what's happening. So the parents have no idea. They've, they've no clue. They also have mood swings. Boys also, everyone has mood swings. But again, stereotypically and classically, those mood swings look different. So not for everyone, not all the time, but their mood swings can go to rage or anger and then just silence, just shut the door, monosyllabic, don't want to communicate silence. That mood swing has not really been recognized as a mood swing until relatively recently. So it's less outwards.
1: I mean, Nick, I remember when you went from this like snuggly, lovey, joyful kid to like Mm. not wanting anything to do with us. And I wish someone had said like, no, no, he like, he's still your brother. He still loves you. He's just like going through it. Cause all I knew was the crying or the laughing or the, you know, big emotions, which I had even before I went through puberty. And I think for parents, there's a real grief and loss when there's that shift in their kid, and they it feels personal. And I what we really want people to know is it's not personal. It's just part of the hormonal cycle, and they will come back to you, right? Like kids do come back, they do find a stasis. They do find a a leveling out. It's just a rough just a rocky few years in between.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think connected. In my case, I, I was a late bloomer, and so it happened later for me, more in high school. And and now looking back, I think I was like, well, I was physically having these changes, but I was also, I, I, you know, it's also connected to what was happening socially for me. And I, I'm assuming that for you guys, that you know, that's part, it's hard to disconnect what what's happening hormonally to people with what's happening environmentally for people as well.
2: I mean, it's why we really believe in this bigger, broader definition of puberty. Because if you look up puberty in a medical dictionary, it just says the path to sexual maturation, right? It's just the, the body parts that need to mature in a certain way to a certain point so that maybe one day they can be part of making a baby. That's what the narrow definition is. But the broader definition is exactly what you've just described. It's all the downstream consequences of those hormones circulating around your brain those hormones circulating around other kids' brains, mm. then the relationship shifts and the social shifts and the mood shifts. And it's it's very much a direct line from those hormones. So it feels extremely fair to call the whole thing puberty. We used to break it up. It was like adolescence was the emotional and social and puberty was the physical, but they they just overlapped so dramatically.
3: Mm. In sort of... a Adding addendum to this question, although it's a little different, but a, a question from who it's partly getting to the social element of what you guys are talking about, asked, How do I get my 14-year-old son off gaming when that's his way of relaxing and socializing with friends? I would rather meet uh in person, but he prefers online Discord. So again, a different than the hormonal stuff, but but more on the socializing element of it. I'm curious, you know, if you guys have thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, I mean, the Technology is part of every corner of adolescence life and not just adolescents. I mean grade school, tweens, teens, everybody. And even if they don't have a phone, it's like they're on devices at school, they have gaming devices, they're FaceTiming grandparents. Like it it's still a very big part of their lives. And I think it's really easy as adults to judge kids and to dismiss their listen. To the person who asked this question, I grapple with the same thing. So what I'm about to say is not at all like, I'm over here and you're there. I'm in this question with you. We, when we give guidance, we work really hard for people to start from the place of like, okay, so what's good about this? What's fun about this? What's meaningful? What's joyful? And figuring that out and hearing kids out and engaging in conversation with them and then thinking. Okay, but what is this getting in the way of? Is it getting in the way of getting outside and moving your body? Is it getting in the way of you getting enough vitamin D? Is it getting in the way of you joining family meals or doing your homework? So I think it becomes about balancing what gives them pleasure and what's fun for them and the social aspect, which I think is kind of hard for us to understand. I mean, listen, dealing with kids and technology requires constant, constant boundary setting. So like we have rules in our house, Car and I have advice for families about rules. And when it gets implemented, it is like sleep training. It is constant. It is daily, daily work. And the big thing, and I know Car is going to talk about this, is, is it does it get in the way of sleep? Because sleep is so important.
2: Yeah. And I just want to say the rules are going to be different in every single house. It's like we we have lots of advice, but the most annoying part of all of this is we can't tell you what to do because it really depends on the whole constellation of things going on. So if you have a kid who's thriving and just doing something that's driving you crazy, it's a totally different situation than if you have a kid who's struggling and doing something that's driving you crazy. I will say the sleep thing is an issue for me in particular. Um, Vanessa has joined the sleep train as we have worked together over the past few years because I'm so persistent about trying to teach kids the importance of sleep. But gaming and social media are the two things that come in the way of sleep. And this is hard because... It's their socialization. It's their downtime. They get through all their homework or their activities or their whatnot. And that's the thing they want to do to unwind. And here we are sort of being the, the very unfun adult saying, oh, it's bedtime, you got to get sleep and you know, it's good for your body, but it really, really, really is important for them to understand the importance of sleep so that they can be self-motivated to maybe game a little, then get off, get ready for bed, go to sleep only other thing I'll add is screens right before bed can interrupt the ability to fall asleep for a whole number of reasons. So for people looking for guidance as to how to order things, the more you can give a cushion between when you're in front of a screen and when you're going to sleep, the better. Vanessa is a believer in the one hour rule. My fantasy is more than that. Like if you can get that a bigger chunk of time, somewhere between one and two hours off a screen, you can fall asleep much, much more quickly. It's just not practical. We can't give advice. You can't follow. So you do the
1: best you can. And there are kids who turn the screen off and boom, they're out. And the biggest piece of advice is no phones charged in the bedroom. So no matter
2: It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause.
1: We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizerscom slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code puberty10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is puberty10 at com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch
2: every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer
1: That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, my kids love Magic Spoon cereal. And even though it's cereal, they actually love it as a homework snack. The variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And fruity is the favorite flavor in my house.
2: Now, this pack has zero grams of sugar, between 13 and 14 grams of protein, and between four and five grams of net carbs per serving. It's made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and it's high in protein, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So a great choice, Vanessa.
1: You can go to magicspoon.com puberty to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our, you guessed it, promo code puberty at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident you're going to love their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. They do not want you to send their cereal back to them.
2: Dry a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash puberty and use the code puberty to save $5.
1: How old you are, you're 80 or eight, no phones in the bedroom. No laptops or computers, Discord servers, none of it. Because the temptation to get on, the temptation to scroll through TikTok, the temptation to join the group chat at one in the morning, it's impossible to push back on that. And so you have to remove the antecedent and get it out of the room.
3: And I guess that means also for ourselves as well.
1: A hundred percent.
2: I mean, all the same benefits of sleep apply to us. So if we follow that
1: rule, we will reap the benefits. And in the book, we have a number of reasons why sleep is so important. But the most convincing reason to kids is that you grow when you sleep. Not when you're in bed. mm like scrolling through, when you are asleep is when the hormones that lead to body growth get into action. And so if you are trying to convince a kid who is not done growing, who really wants to grow, you can convince them to go to sleep by telling them they grow when they sleep. It is absolutely 100% true. Cara never, ever lies.
3: Now, this is, again, attached to this question, but different, this is from... How do I parent a preteen and a toddler as my preteen starts to enter as teens? I wonder about good examples in how to set good boundaries, especially when friends of my son come over when they get older. I wonder about good concrete examples on how to get more privileges of growing older while preserving the younger one's experiences as, as age appropriate and not speeding up her, mm, I'm assuming, development. It's the last word I'm missing. but
0: I mean...
1: Car and I might have slightly different approaches to this, but I find with adolescents that if you just make your expectations super clear and explain why and give them a sense of responsibility, there's a lot more buy-in than if you come down hard and just like tell them how it's going to go. So I had six 13-year-olds making eggs in my kitchen. The other (laughs) don't ask. I think it's like a TikTok trend or something. They were scrambling. They were making an egg off. And they needed to clean up. And at first I was like, so do I do it? Cause I'm like, gonna mess up their mojo and I'm going to be that annoying mom. And I said, no, I don't want to clean up their stuff. So I just made it clear. Okay, you guys have to clean up. So if you think about a toddler and an adolescent and their friends come over and you say, I get that you guys have all this funny lingo and all this music you love to listen to. And that's awesome. I just need to ask that when the little sister is around, you follow the same rules that you would have followed when you were young and give them the responsibility and say, You go off and do it when you're separate, but not when the kiddo is around. Now, Nick, you as a youngest know and Cara as a young, as an almost youngest, as a third, Cara and I are thirds. Like you're still going to get exposed to stuff, but that's also part of what makes you cool and funny and interesting is that you have like a precociousness. So there is an upside to being a younger of olders. Um, mm-hmm. but I think don't be afraid to set limits and set boundaries and be unapologetic and super clear without a ton of judgment. It's mm-hmm. Right. I mean,
2: listen, you're going to hear a hundred percent. You're going to hear from the older one that it's completely unfair that the <laughs> younger one is able to do all these things at much younger ages, but this is, such is the nature of life. I mean, things evolve and change and whatever interesting screen-based activities there are right now today for a tween, by the time that toddler becomes a tween, the whole landscape is gonna look different. It's ever evolving. But I agree, Vanessa is, is right. And giving an older sibling a little bit of responsibility for that goes a really long way. In fact, in the world of pediatrics, we will often have parents engage the older sibling to help teach the younger sibling something that the parent is struggling. Like, let's say you've got a kid who has some issues with language and is working with a speech therapist and they're they're not motivated to practice. You know who's going to get them motivated and you know who will practice with them? An older sibling or a cousin who's a few years older or a family friend who's a few years older. This is foreshadowing for the puberty years, but other kids resonate much more than adults do. They mm. motivate, they excite, they, they light up the brain. And so that can be used to your advantage in two different directions at once. It makes the older sibling feel great because they're seen and they're given a little responsibility. And it makes the younger sibling feel great it's not always going to end super well. <laughs> you know, I think we all need to just acknowledge that, but that's okay. Cause uh, we talk a lot about taking a do-over and repairing, and that's a huge piece of the journey of raising kids.
3: Speaking of a do-over asked if you could go back in time and tell your younger selves one thing each, what would it be and why? N- not quite a do-over, but I mean, you know, I think for all of us, there are things that we wish we could have done over for ourselves or told ourselves.
1: Nick, you want to start with that one?
3: <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I guess I've spent like seven, <laughs> almost seven seasons of a TV show having that conversation, you know, which was, has been incredibly therapeutic because I think, you know, it's this weird thing and you guys are talking and dealing with it every day, which is, you know, the reason we're here, both of us doing what we do in the space is that puberty is so foundational. It's such a massive part of who we become as adults. Something about it in that particular period of time in adolescence is just so form, like, I'm like, oh, what happened to me between, you know, 12 and 15 or 16 feels much more important to me than what happened between 22 and 26. Or, you know, on some level two and six, even though so much happens to you at that age. There's just something, the stakes are so high. So in a weird way, I both want to go back to myself and be like, none of this is a big deal. Like, don't worry about it. Like you're going to hit puberty or that person that you like is, whether they like you or not, is not the end of the world. Or that person who's being mean to you is just insecure in their own way. So I both want to go back and tell myself, like, it's not a big deal And then I also want to go back and tell them it's a huge deal what's happening to you. And like, don't diminish it. Like, don't like, this is formative. You're, it it makes sense that this feels like the end of the world or this is exuberant because it is so massively important to who you are. So that's my answer, non-answer.
1: Cara, do you have an answer? It's a version of the same,
2: actually. I mean, for me, I might, like to be in control often <laughs> <laughs> no Vanessa tonight deny, deny it, Vanessa and it was very hard for me to not know where anything was like I didn't know how tall I was gonna be I didn't know if I was gonna end up being curvy or not my brothers were very clear with me that I was never gonna have one curve like you know they used to say you're so flat the walls are jealous every minute of every day you know and I didn't know if I was going to have as many pimples as the person who was managing all the pimples or if I, my skin was going to be spared. Like, And I had a lot of trouble not knowing. And I think what I wish I could tell myself is that's the process. You don't know mm. and you just have to get through it and you you will manage the things that come your way. That thinking didn't fit with my personality and it was definitely not the prevailing notion of the day. The prevailing notion of the day was, you know, just don't talk about it and, you know, and grin and bear it and you're fine. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's sort of a version, version of yours, Nick.
1: Mm-hmm. I think mine is that it will even out. I mean, I was like a pretty volatile kid and then puberty really ratcheted that up. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I've just assumed I would always live on that roller coaster and I think knowing that eventually things even out would have been reassuring in the moment. The problem is like, anytime you try to reassure the kid this age, it just feels like, as you said, Nick, like dismissive, like they're like, oh, well, no, it is a big deal. Or, oh, this does feel like a lot. I mean, the helpful thing was that our mom was like really into deep breaths before like it was a thing before like mindfulness Mm. (laughs) thing. There's like a lot of Lamaze breathing in the car when we were all arguing. And Did she
2: want
1: you to engage in it as well? Or was it just. You no, know, a- it was just a sign that we had stepped <laughs> over the line if the Lama's breathing came out. But I think she was also co-regulating us. I mean, I didn't know it at the time, but. I think understanding my like the emotional reactions and kind of that sense of mindfulness. Like I love that kids learn mindfulness so much more now because I think it gives you such a connection to your body and a sense of yourself. Yeah. I think just reassurance that things would, would even out and feeling like it was going to get easier.
3: Yeah. One of the things that we we had a season of the show that was around anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um which I think I would imagine you guys deal with a lot. I think more than when we were growing up, we may have had it, but it, I think it's just gotten more, I don't know if, whether it's all the screens and everything or or it's just more vocalized now. But what we talked to a bunch of people, therapists, ex- experts around it, and what they eventually came back to is like, the really the only ways to deal with anxiety are with breath and with gratitude which I'm sure is super easy to tell your kid to <laughs> gratitude
2: it works so fast. <laughs> yeah.
3: But I have found that, I mean, in my own life, you know, as an adult, really that gratitude is, and breathing um, is so key to it all.
2: I mean, I also think that removing the precipitant becomes really important and We, as the adults in their lives, contribute to some of the stressors that then, you know, the the, you know, this I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but for people listening who don't know how to distinguish stress and anxiety, right? Stress is the stressor is present and you're having this response, and anxiety is the stressor is gone or it hasn't arrived yet and you're having the same response. So it's Mm -hmm. sort of a present absent scenario, but what happens in the body is the same in both, and it's very physical, and then it's very emotional. And we are contributors as the adults in their lives, we are able to help get them through it. But we also, there are lots of ways in which we will catch ourselves being part of that. And I do think that is where we can, you know, to go back to the concept of a do-over, we can step in and tell the kids in our lives where we've gone awry and own it and. Tell them we want to take a do-over and try something again. And whether it's, you know, setting a limit or, you know, an expectation or sharing a dream or a hope, all those things can be very anxiety provoking for kids.
3: Related to this, but, but a departure inside of it, but an interesting just parenting question is uh, from it says, as a transgender man, puberty was especially icky time. When I began my medical transition, my second puberty was like slightly more affirming, but still God awful. Any recommendations for queer parents with queer kids on how to make that natural process of growth and development less emotionally icky?
1: Yeah. I mean, we have in the book, there's two chapters, one on gender identity and one on sexual orientation. And our culture and society conflates the two. And there there is overlap. I mean, even in the acronym we use, right? LGBTQ plus. But there is the aspect of puberty, which is changing body. And if you are transgender, as Logan said, you have a, a second puberty or you have a puberty that never really started. And then you Have a puberty. And then, in terms of sexuality, there's like a growing identity in terms of attraction and desire. And with all of it, and it's whether you're, you know, what your gender identity is, what your sexual orientation is, the whole goal with all of it is that everyone's experience is okay. Like people's bodies are not gross, people's desires aren't gross. We use the words icky and Yucky and gross and disgusting to talk about all of this. And yeah, like it is smelly and moist, and you know, there's discharge and ejaculation. I mean, there's all sorts of fluids and smells and all of it. But we really want to remove any shame or judgment from any of it. And that's regardless of somebody's journey with gender or sexual orientation. And I think creating a home and a culture where it's okay to talk about stuff. It's great to ask about stuff. And it's fine to like explore stuff that feels uncomfortable without judgment. And every family is going to choose how open they want to be and how much they want to talk about their journey and their feelings. One of the biggest things we hear from kids and from caregivers of kids who identify as transgender or who identify as, you know, either bisexual or homosexual is like, there was this pressure to choose, to know, mm. and that felt like too much. And some of our favorite couple of books that we cite in in our book encourage adults like to not put pressure on kids to know and to choose, to let them go through their own journey and exploration. Because sometimes the pressure to, to know and to decide creates a discomfort and an ickiness just in itself. And so if you're caring for a kid who is in a moment of figuring it out, it's just a lot of empathy and a lot of love and a lot of support and not a lot of pressure to like, know. because how many of us knew anything at, you know, at this age, there was so much for all of us that was completely uncertain. And then there were parts of us we felt really certain about. So I think it's a message that applies to to everyone, including this particular situation.
3: Yeah, I think one of the takeaways from your book that I thought was really interesting that is different for us was starting to have these conversations, but that puberty is happening much earlier. I mean, for parents, even from our generation to our kids' generation, it's happening much faster. And so a question from what is the best way to introduce puberty to my six, almost seven year old who is noticing her body? and changing bodies around her, a sample quote script of something that's at her level while acknowledging her awareness in a positive way.
2: Yeah. I mean, let me just start by saying that I think what freaks people out the most about the earlier onset of puberty is that people really do conflate puberty and sexuality. And we are here to say that, yes, puberty is the path to sexual maturity, for sure. Sexuality, sexual desire, all of it happens part and parcel, but not at the very beginning. It's not, you know, out of the gate. The first breast bud appears, by the way, usually only one appears, and that's a stressor in and of itself, but the other one will come. Sorry, the-
3: I'm going to interrupt right there because one of the other questions is from now is please talk about asymmetrical breasts.
2: Oh, oh we're gonna, we are got to go back to that one. Okay. Yeah, But just because there's a breast bud doesn't mean that you suddenly have a sexually interested child. This whole process takes years and years and years. And so you start at the beginning. Frankly, we encourage people who have toddlers like you, Nick, to be talking about Body parts and labeling them anatomically, and just having open conversations about basic hygiene and consent. Consent for a toddler or consent for a kindergartner looks like, you know, hey, can I sit in your lap and braid your hair? Not just jumping in your lap and braiding your hair, right? So these things are not sexual at all. And I think starting at the very beginning, answering questions in a very straightforward simple way when you get a question you don't know what they're asking you say that's such an interesting question what makes you ask it then you get you get pointed in the right direction but making sure that as bodies are starting to change there is an understanding of what parts are changing and what the path through is going to be which oftentimes means that parents have to go educate themselves and you don't have to read a biology textbook you can read the same body book your kid is reading and learn the very basics of what is going to happen over time and then engage them in conversation around that.
1: Or you can read our book yes. because you can <laughs> do that too. <laughs> I mean, just, you my, know, to- kind of my toddler
3: is reading the book, so it works for me.
1: Very intelligent, very intelligent mm-hmm. child. Very important. I mean, we always say it's never too early to teach kids about their body parts, about consent, about respecting other people's boundaries and let kids take the lead. I mean, if you have a curious six or seven-year-old who's like pointing at your breasts or asking about your penis, then you just give like a matter of fact answer. That's a sentence or two long. And like, that's it. If you want to know where they are, you got to, as Cara said, find out where the question is coming from. Kids are like, they get in, they get out, they ask their question, they get what they need, they move on to the Legos. And then as they get older, I think the harder thing about adolescents as kids get older, like not the six and seven year olds, but the 10, 11, and 12 year olds, is they really start to compare themselves to other people. And mm-hmm. that moment of comparison is much more fraught and complicated than the sort of blissfully ignorant younger grade schooler who's just like firing off random questions and then like is ready for ice cream. So I think as kids get socially more sophisticated and more aware, that becomes a more complicated conversation. Like, why are they changing and I'm not changing? Or why have they grown and I haven't grown? And that's that's a tougher conversation to have.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think, again, this is a Question related more to, I think this is a question from asking, is it safe for my daughter to nair put Nair on her legs? That's what I started before shaving, but I wasn't sure if the science says we should, uh, shouldn't use that product anymore. I bring that question in just because I do think kids are beginning to compare and look at themselves, their bodies, and then to what other kids are doing. And I'm sure you guys are dealing with, you don't make your decisions about your parenting in a bubble. You're, you're dealing with your kid's saying, well, these parents are letting, or this girl's le- like shaving or whatever. So
2: Everyone, Nick, everyone. That's the mantra usually. Everyone yeah. shaving. Everyone has social media. Everyone, right? But right. usually it's not everyone. <laughs>
3: Just saying. Um, so I guess, you know, it's the the broader question, but specifically with Nair, but then curious on a broader level as you yeah. address this.
2: Yeah. So the Nair question is a a good one. Nair smells so bad that um, most people think it must be toxic. It's just what's called a depilatory. It just causes the hair to actually break right at the point where it's erupting out of the skin. So it's similar to shaving in that it's cutting the hair off right when the hair comes out of the skin, but it just dissolves the hair. That's how it works. And the question of safety is relative. So Okay, Nair has chemicals that do that. Maybe you don't want chemicals on your kid's skin. That's fair, but shaving comes with its own set of risks including shaving with a rusty razor, shaving too quickly, shaving dry, all these sort of tactical issues around shaving that can cause cuts in the skin where you shave, and it's not just a cut, it can cause shaving with a with a rusty razor you can cut Every single hair follicle can get infected. I've seen legs that, you know, it just looks like, yeah, it's really not. So which one is safe? It depends what your relative risk profile is and what you're looking and how it feels to you. Some people prefer waxing because there's sort of less of the chemical and there's no risk for cutting. But then, you know, there's the pain piece. I mean, you can, you can go 25 different directions with it. The one thing I will say though, is that if you don't talk about it with your kid and they have the feelings about all this stuff, then they may feel that they need to take matters into their own hands. And that's not the goal. So, you know, it's how you bring it up. Vanessa is a magical scripter. She's like, this is her superpower. And she's incredible at getting into conversations with people. And if I'm going to guess, I'm going to guess Vanessa's going to say the conversation goes something like this. Hey, I've I've noticed that a lot of kids your age are starting to grow more hair in certain places, like the hair on their legs are getting thicker. Have, have you noticed that? Which is a way to not make it about your. Did I get that right,
1: Vanessa? Yeah, I would say that was a fairly accurate entry you point. Do you want to take over from there and explain why? Yeah. I mean, here's the thing about hair. It's like on some level, no big deal, right? It's not like some of the getting your first period or like a wet dream or whatever. But it is actually a really big deal. Kids feel like it's a really big deal and it, they feel super self conscious of it. And the other thing that people may not know if you haven't read our book is that it's not just about girls. Males' hair removal is a very big deal. And there's a lot of activity around not just like guys shaving arms or legs. Or getting backs waxed, but removing pubic hair for people with penises is super common. There's a ton of grooming. And so people might be listening and being like, what? Like that's ridiculous. Why would they do that? But the whole exercise is about no judgment. Like if that's what's become normative, then you want to have a curious conversation with a kid about what's going on and what are people using? And how do they keep it clean? Answers: They don't. And how do they still stay safe? And you know all of those things. And so the conversation about the nair or the shaving. I mean, who here shaved for their legs for the first time with like a borrowed pink bic razor and like the camp communal shower? Right. I mean, it's shocking. I don't think I use anything. I think I still have, still have scars on my shin. So it's we want to get it out in the open. And kids who are complaining about a certain part of their body could be hair, it could be breasts, it could be height, it could be anything. That is them looking to get into conversation with us and not knowing how. Because for an 11-year-old to say, you know, this part of my body is making me feel extremely self-conscious and Mm -hmm. I would love to explore those emotions with you. Like they're never going to say that, but they are going to say, I hate the goddamn hair on my legs and everybody makes fun of me and it's stuck right and that's your invitation it's not it's not the most elegant invitation you're ever going to get but that is your invitation and you follow their lead and you take it from there and they will say as car said every line you're going to get is going to be like everyone else is doing x everyone else's parents let you do that the best thing you can do is get a group chat going and find out really what is happening in other people's homes cuz chances are everyone else is not doing x y or z
3: we're running out of time. There was a, a question in the, in the Q&A, if anyone has a last-minute question to ask, from uh, Roger Bennett, who is an interested participant in this. <laughs> but it it echoes a question uh, that was a pre-asked question, which I think is a great one for Vanessa and Carr, which is, what is the one thing that surprised you most in writing this book, the most jaw-dropping thing you learned that you had no idea uh, about before you wrote it?
2: Before I answer that one, I do want to make sure that this was not jaw dropping to me when I wrote the book, but it was when I learned it, why breasts don't grow at the same time. So I want to make sure to get that answer in, squeeze that really fast. I see you and lots and lots and lots of kids used to come into the office thinking they had breast cancer because the breasts grow at different rates and one might be lumpier than the other. So just very simple answer. They don't talk like the hormones just do their thing in the local tissue. And eventually for most people, they even out, but actually in some bodies, the breasts are pretty asymmetric and they also change shape and size throughout the month because the hormones that circulate shift fluid levels in the breast. So there's a lot in our book about this, but just, we see you, we hear you. And there's a very, very common question. And the answer is they just don't talk.
3: Are there any products that someone can purchase that would be good for people, kids going through changes in their bodies? Is there any sort of retail (laughs) products that are
2: available? Nick, we so appreciate you teeing up the most comfortable bra in America called the Umbra, which is like sweatpants for boobs. And it works to conceal breast buds. And then it's so comfortable that we sized it all the way up. But also for people without boobs, there are socks that don't smell. And shorts that are super <laughs> loose that air you out that are like the opposite of
1: underwear. Thank you, Nick,
2: for that moment oh, of product
1: placement. Also, product placement. people should know labia are not symmetrical. Those are the lips that are part of the vulva and testicles are not symmetrical. So you can reassure they might hang at different heights. And your face is not symmetrical. Have you done that app? Like,
2: do this. it makes your face symmetrical? You look no. so
1: strange. We I have not- enough stuff to deal with. I don't need to talk <laughs> about the asymmetry of my face. What is the most shocking thing? Okay,
2: I'm going to go first because I don't know. If, well, it's not shocking. It's just the best thing we learned from the book. I, I'm going to say yeah. it to week. The word situationship. That's the Best thing is the word situationship, which our interns taught. So every chapter ends with an essay by one of our interns. They range in age from eighteen to twenty-two. They tell a personal story related to the chapter and they give advice to adults through the lens of someone who just went through this. And we love this group of interns, and they taught us the word situationship, which is just a gigantic wastebasket term that describes every single type of relationship, non-relationship, dynamic setup between two people. And it starts with talking, which often involves no talking. And it goes from there. And the teen and 20 something description of what a situationship is, is just amazing. So I'm going to just leave it at that because that was my favorite thing.
1: My favorite thing that I learned, which I had always intuited, but then the chapter on growth spurts actually lays it out is that you know how kids growing kids have like big hands and big feet, but somehow like their torsos are like super short and you're like, something is off here. And that is literally how bodies grow. So bodies grow from the periphery and the last place they grow is at the trunk. So that's why kids like middle school kids, have like size 12 feet that are like flapping around, but their torsos are like this short because the trunk is the last place to go. And I just, I love it so much. It like explains that visual that you have of kids this age and you're like, what is going on? And I also got to explain it to my kids who were trying to figure out like, why did my feet grow so much? But then why did they stop growing? And like, why did pants fit me weird? And we get to tell kids all over the country that this is normal and everyone goes through it and they just love it so much. It's like the easiest moment of reassurance that you can offer, offer up a kid.
3: Well, I think we're about out of time here and um, I'm uh, grateful for this time to hear you guys speak directly to me and and everyone who's joined us in the chat, but also for this book, you know, like... Again, I, I've come at my world of puberty through a purely sort of entertainment version of it. and But but seeing how you guys have distilled so much of what you've done between the podcast, your individual work, and the various things you both do. And now writing this book, I think, uh, as I was talking to Vanessa before this, like, not only is it going to be really interesting for parents, but I think it's going to be really helpful and I think what we always think about in our show is like that people feel really alone during puberty, but I don't think people think also about how parents, I think, feel quite alone during this time as they try to navigate it. And what you guys have done is created this incredible resource for parents to not feel alone. I encourage people to listen to your guys' podcasts as well and check out your socials, uh, Spilling the puberty. And all the other ways that you guys are helping parents and kids navigate this incredibly formative, uh, emotional, and important period uh, in both the kids' lives and the parents' lives. So thank you guys for speaking today. Thanks for writing this book. This is So Awkward, which is available uh, October 10th. So please buy it uh, everywhere. And buy m- you guys really should buy multiple copies just because you want one for each room in the house.
1: Totally.
3: And I uh, encourage everybody to spread the word about this. The way these books take off uh, is by people spreading the word on social media uh, and word of mouth and your parenting groups, uh, WhatsApp chains, text chains that you have. Uh, that's the way this book will soar and uh, really find a bigger, broader audience, which I think would be so helpful for the kids and parents alike.
1: Thank you, Nick. Thanks Thank you. for hosting this. This is really wonderful and very special.
3: Of course, my pleasure. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And uh, again, uh, this is so awkward. Available October 10th, uh, wherever you buy books. And uh, thank you guys, Cara, Vanessa. And uh, see you
1: soon. Thanks, everyone. Bye, everyone. Thank you. We absolutely love hearing your feedback and getting all your questions. So anytime you want to be in touch, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. If you're looking for great puberty products like the Oom shorts or the Oom socks or the Oom bra, you get the theme there. Go to my... Hold up? If you want more content, you love what we do on the puberty podcast, and you want to have us come speak or learn more about our book, or subscribe to our amazing newsletter, The Awkward Roller Coaster, go to orderofmagnitude.co. Remember, it's .co because we don't have enough money to buy .com yet.